Did God need to become a man so that he could help us repent? That's a good question, this one. There are lots of things that God did by becoming a man. And uh, I'm not really sure if it's so that he could help us repent. It's an interesting thought. And I need to, uh, it's one of these questions I've got to go and scratch my head just a little bit more about. So if you've got the answer, tell me over dinner. But when we want to see what it was that Jesus did by becoming man, uh, if we look at Hebrews chapter 2, there's a whole lot of stuff there that talks about what happened there. It certainly shows that he came so that he could truly represent us and that he could also provide help for us when we're tempted. They're two of the big things. But was it so that he could help us repent? I'm not so sure about that. So I don't think so, but like I said, come and tell me the right answer over dinner. Uh, Question two, were people who died before Jesus also saved? Well, if people like Abraham and all the heroes of the Old Testament were able to save, to be saved by what they did, then we wouldn't have needed Jesus. So the answer must be no. They weren't saved by something else other than by Jesus. So the people in the Old Testament, think about this, were actually saved by the death of Jesus. So how does that work? Well, well, Hebrews chapter 11 lists a whole lot of heroes of the faith. It starts at the top by saying that they were commended for their faith. And at the end of the chapter, they were commended for their faith. So they were kind of, they were believing in God and following God with their heart, but they didn't understand that Jesus needed to die for them. But it turns out that he did. And that's how they were saved many years later. Question three, can the devil fire his flaming arrows at any time? Well, what's this question talking about? Well, there's a famous chapter of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about a whole lot of spiritual warfare stuff. And within this, it talks about God's armour. And so you look at chapter 6, verse 11, it says, put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And then it talks about all the different ways that the devil's able to attack us. And one of them is, verse 16, it says, In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So that's where the question's coming from. So we can see here that the devil, the evil one, does still affect Christians today, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But let's note a couple of things. The first thing is, we see here that Jesus has given us his armour. And what I love about this is it's armour that he's already used and has already worked. If you could actually see it, you'd see all of these, you know, these marks where these flaming arrows have sort of hit it but have bounced off. It's an armour that has been successful in defending uh, from the devil and his evil plans. And so he's saying it's already worked, so put it on. And if you do that, the first verse says... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You will be strong if you put on the armour of God. But why is that? It's because Jesus has already defeated the devil. Jesus has won. And that's why his armour works. And, you know, we shouldn't freak out about the devil. The devil really wants Christians to think that he's very, very scary. But he's defeated. And so you read in James chapter 4, verse 7, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee away from you. I love that verse. There's a lot of comfort in that. We can resist the devil because Jesus has defeated him. You know, some Christians think that there's a future battle between Jesus and the devil um, because they misread the book of Revelation. 
but what it shows in Revelation is this amazing picture of what has actually already happened at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it shows us that Jesus has won with some really flowery and fiery language like, you know, devil's heads and things like that. No, I'm sorry, um, demon's heads and things like that, or dragon's heads and things like that. But you see, what we need to do is we need to realise that in Ephesians chapter 6, with the armour of God, we've just got to put on that armour of God. And what does that mean? It says, trust God's righteousness, know God's peace, hold firm in your faith, trust your salvation, know God's word, pray. It's basically saying, live out the normal Christian life. That is what it means to be strong in the Lord and to put on his mighty power. And you can then stand firm against the devil, knowing the devil is defeated, even though he loves to try and convince Christians that he's still powerful. He is a liar and he is a loser. But it brings us to the next question, which helps us see a balance to this, and that is, can an attack of the devil cause Christians to suffer? Well, yes, but only under God's rule, only under the sovereignty of God. If God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't happen. There's an Old Testament book called Job, and in that it's really important, and we see these sorts of things playing out. But you've got to realise it was also before Jesus died. And you know how Jesus went around, there were evil spirits who came out all the time and screamed and did things like that before Jesus died. That was the before bit. So things have changed since then. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul did say that Satan can tempt us and outwit us and torment us through a messenger, which is what happened to him. And also he said that Satan blocked his way. So it's difficult to identify when something like that happens, whether it's Satan or where it's from. But the answer is, put on the armour of God. It's yours. It works. It fits. And it's Jesus' armour he's given for you to stand in. Related to this also, how should we feel after we've given into temptation? Well, I think that we obviously should feel sad and remorseful. That's what our consciences do. They, they make us feel bad about doing stuff that we know that we shouldn't have done. That should then lead us to say, I'm really sorry, God. I don't want to do that again. I'm really, really sorry. How should we feel then? Well, he said, if you say sorry, I forgive you. So what do you do with that? You say, oh, but I still feel really bad. Well, you should stop feeling bad. You should say, I now know that I'm forgiven, that he's forgiven me. And what's more, and this really blows my mind, God actually looks at us just as if we'd never sinned. And I think that's, it's like, really? You think, I, I, we want to have a look at my glasses? Have a look at me and see what I'm really like. And God says, I've forgiven you because of Jesus. And so because that's a reality, I need to start to live it out and to feel it myself. See, sometimes if we spend all our time just feeling defeated when we've given into temptation, you know, it's just like riding a bicycle looking at your feet. It's really wobbly and stuff. Just look ahead, know Jesus has forgiven you, and press on. And when you do give in to temptation, because you will, say sorry, mean it, try to never do it again, but listen to the promises of God where he says, I have truly forgiven you, I truly love you. Question six, how do we know when to literally obey the Bible? <clears throat> it's a really interesting question, isn't this one? Because there are bits of the Bible where you think, oh, am I supposed to literally do that? So when Jesus said, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off, has my right hand ever caused me to sin? Yes. 
Why have I not obeyed Jesus? Uh, You want to put your right hands up? Let me have a look at your right hands all out there. I'm seeing a lot of right hands there, okay? Do do you not trust Jesus? Do you not believe Jesus? Well, I reckon you probably listened to that and thought, I don't think Jesus is saying I need to literally cut my right hand off. And there's all these other bits where he'll use words that, that are designed to help us understand a big point that he's making. And one of them last week was, don't call anybody father. And I think, oh, I think I called my father father once, at least once. Sorry, Jesus. He's not actually saying don't literally call your father father. He's saying that the way that you treat leaders shouldn't be in the same way that you treat God. And if you look at that, you can see that it's a a way of speaking. And so we, as we read English texts, like we read the Bible, we've got to recognise when things are literal and when they're to be read literalistically, you see. And, you know, like some people say, you know, oh, I missed out on Swift tickets and I died. How did you die? You're still speaking. No, 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 but I died. Well, you, you're not, you didn't die. No, but I literally died. It's like, well, no, you didn't either. Uh, it, it was a sense of sadness and, and bitter pain. I'm sure you went through. But it doesn't mean that you actually died. But we understood what you were saying, right? The same thing happens and we read the Bible. The other thing is... The Old Testament's different to the New Testament. The Old Testament, they did weird stuff that God wanted them to do, like kill animals and spray blood around and stuff like that. We don't do that anymore. If we did, you wouldn't want to be on our cleaning roster, right? But things changed because Jesus died and he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and stuff like that. Great question. Uh, Number seven, why is church called church? Uh, Simple answer is because it is. Uh, The next simple answer is Google said some technical words to me. It said it's from an older word, kirk, which is from the Greek kirikon doma, which means the Lord's house. There you go. I didn't know that. I hope you feel better. Uh, Number eight, uh, can we run some special events for unbelievers? well, we, we do run a couple of special events for unbelievers. We've got the big day on Christmas Eve, and so we have a big event out on the grass. That's really cool. Not just for unbelievers. It's actually for all of us to celebrate the night before Christmas. And then we've got Easter Day, which we call a live day, and that's also out there, and that's a great place for unbelievers. Well, it's kind of for us as well, which is actually how we do everything here, right? Everything is for people who know Jesus and people who don't yet know Jesus. And I know in this room there are people who are in both situations. You're kicking this stuff around, trying to work it out. So we want church and our meals afterwards and our small groups to be open doors to anybody at any time, no matter where you are, where you are out with God. Now, some churches, they'll run some things. They'll say, well, look, it's hard to get people from zero to hero in one go. So what we'll do is we'll run a thing in the sort of like a bit more of a socially kind of thing and people will get to know others and then we'll bring them along to church and stuff like that. And some churches do that and it's great. That's terrific. But what we want you to do is, is say, well, look, why don't you invite those people over to your place for a meal and invite maybe some friends over who you know from church and hang out with them and then say, what are you doing on Sunday? And then come to church. Uh, hopefully, you know, church is a pretty chilled kind of place. It's confusing and it's weird at times, but good, weird, because we're here. And if you're picking up all this stuff and like Adrian, you think we're like a cult. Well, I don't think we're actually a cult. We do weird things, but they're good weird because we mean it. We want to talk to God and we want to have a good time doing it as well as we honour him. Question nine, can... People in heaven see our actions. I don't think they can, because if they did, they'd see our our sin and our suffering and our failures. Uh, 
And whilst it's not an actual picture of heaven and stuff, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told gives us an insight that there is that gap there and they can't see down. Thank you for your questions. Lots for next week, I'm sure. But now it's time for our prayers. Here's Matt and Georgia.